Hello and welcome to The Bloody Pit. This is episode 149. Yes, yes, I'm on track. I'm remembering the numbers, I swear. See, see, see? And I am joined... I it's not, it's not completely true. Uh, I am joined by two stalwart victims of the slasher blade. <laughs> With me today is... Troy Gwynn. And... Jeffrey Nelson. And we are here to do something we have not done in far too long, and that is to talk about... A Lucio Fulci film. It has been a long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I gotta admit that I always feel like the Fulci films gotten, I mean, like almost all of them, have gotten so much coverage mm-hmm. in the podcasting world that there's a, while, while there's a part of me that really wants to dig into them, nowadays what I want to dig into is like, I think we, we, we talked about The Beyond before. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, well, The Beyond's one of the biggies. So, I think it's big now. Didn't we? Well, I mean, it, it when got did we do the podcast? A, was oh it years, a few years back, wasn't it? Episode fifty something. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Forever ago. <laughs> but the thing is that the, that quartet of horror movies that Fulci is most famous for amongst American fans, obviously, um, I think they've kind of been covered to death. But the stuff that he did after that, mm-hmm. the uh, the troubled years. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the best way to put it is. Uh, those are the ones that get least, uh, the probably the least amount of coverage, and that's kind of a shame. I mean, let's let's be clear. Fulci uh, did have some health problems in the mid '80s. He uh, he contracted uh, some kind of um, uh, some kind of something from the water when he was in Mexico, yeah. making uh, conquest. Mm-hmm. And so he he, uh, he uh, lost he, he lost some weight and he was not he was not the healthiest of guys for the re- for the remainder of his life after that point. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't vital and still making movies. Um, I think he was also financially challenged a little, a little bit. I mean, the movies got oh, smaller sure. budget. Yeah. Now, part of that doesn't have anything to do with Fulci. Part of that has to do with the state of the Italian genre cinema at the time. There were fewer and fewer of these movies being made. That means fewer and fewer opportunities. And, you know, something doesn't something doesn't 
turn a massive profit for a producer, he's a little less likely to throw that money at you the next time that he's, he's wanting to produce something, hoping to make more cash. So what we have here is Lucio Fulci, a man who started out making comedies in the 60s, mm-hmm. moved into historical dramas and then thrillers in the 70s, and then horror movies in the late, late 70s through the early 80s, a man who could very easily be said to have covered the waterfront as far as different types mm-hmm. of genres are concerned, who by this time, in 1984, with the movie we're going to talk about today, has decided, you know what the world needs? In 1984, another damn giallo. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? As far as I'm concerned, he was right, because we always need another giallo. Yeah, there's never a, mm-hmm. time, never a time we don't need more giallo. But of course, we're in unless the 80s. Unless it's called Giallo. <laughs> yeah, unless, unless it's called Giallo. And that movie ain't no good. Yeah, sorry, Dario. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, Dario. <laughs> but with this movie, Murder Rock, which I will grant everyone who wants to complain, is a stupid title. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. But let's, uh, but let's, let's we'll, we'll have to mention the alternates and see if any of them were any better. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, let, well, let's do that. Let's, let's start with yeah. that. How about. Slash Dance. Sla- okay, Slash Dance. That's that's one variant. There is a movie called Slash Dance. A, to- a totally yeah, different. Yeah, there's a separate film, one. You're right. That's true. Which I still has, have. Either, have either of you seen that one? I've never seen that one. I have no, not. I have not. Uh, but but the only reason that, that there's, I can understand the thinking behind that title because it's like you know people might not quite get that this movie is trying to is is in, is, is trying to uh, cash in on the Flash Dance craze by watching mm-hmm. it. You know, if somebody just doesn't quite get that message there then maybe we just need to go ahead and call it slash dance just to you hit spe- it on the spe- nose let's spell there. it out let's spell it out and let's go to each potential ticket buyer yeah. and go hey look do you Did remember you a few years dance? ago that movie that made a shit ton of money yeah were they the break dancing at the end of the film yeah we're gonna have the break dancing at the beginning that's of the right film. that's right we're gonna be different that so you walk in the door under the credits before you can even get their popcorn seated in the seat. I mean, we're just ready to go. Speaking of which, I was glad to see that you guys remembered to wear your leg warmers to the, uh, to the <laughs> so. All this time watching this movie. Hey, these things work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. It's, it's just a chilly April day. Uh, we, 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 were, we were wondering, okay, first of all, fashion, mm-hmm. fashion in the 80s. Friends, we make lots of jokes. Those of us who lived through the 80s, at least, make a lot of jokes about the fashion of the 80s. I've started segueing into making more fun of the, the fashion of the early 90s because the bleed over from the 80s just got worse and included shoulder pads. But That's true. in this film, there was a point right at the beginning where I thought, ooh, I should try to keep track, uh, uh, try to keep a count of all the leg warmers. <laughs> and then I completely forgot about it for a second, and I'll tell you exactly when I did. That is the scene where the incredibly gorgeous woman is totally naked except for the leg warmers. I stopped being able to count from that point on. I was like, okay, I can't do this now. I've lost. I've lost. Whatever whatever, whatever was propelling me forward on the, the quest to count leg warmers has been defeated by the nude woman headed to the shower to play I've Never Seen Psycho. 
<laughs> well, that uh, another alternate title, which makes no sense whatsoever, is The Demon is Loose, was apparently I know. Was called. Like, what? You know, yeah, like that, that was like a late 80s re-release title, and it's yeah. just, what the hell are you trying to get away with here? I will say, of all the titles, maybe just the subtitle, the, the, the this is over like our print that we watch, is, it says Murder Rot, Dancing Death. I mean, Dancing yeah. Death, Dancing is, that may bad. actually be the closest I think to what the best would be, title. You know, be the best title. title. Dancing Death is pretty good because... Or Dance of Death would have been a good one, maybe, or something Maybe, like maybe. Well, I'll say this. If you get dance in the title, uh, and death in the title, however you want to rearrange those words or add the, uh, the subjunctive yeah, sure, clause, yeah. I don't care, it doesn't really matter. Whatever you do there, at least then, at the beginning of the film, you're like, okay, well then it's going to have these elements, and you'd be right. And at the end of the movie, you'd go, oh, well, that was an accurate thing, because like mm. even the motivations of the killer are defined by the title. Yeah. Whereas Murder Rock is just gibberish. I mean, it doesn't matter <laughs> really at all. Is. There's nothing involved in this. It has anything I mean, to do I, with that. A lot of people might go in. I mean, I would, if I just saw that title, I would go into it expecting like more of a heavy metal horror thing. Yes. You know, like, you know. Yeah, I was just about to mention yeah, that. There's, like no, rock there's no actual rock in the no, film. There's truly yeah, not. I'm there's nothing with sure, rock in Pretty this. sure a guitar never entered the <laughs> no, studio. It's not even a stable film. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, let's, let's, put, let's put it this way. Uh, one of the complaints about this movie has been forever that the score is subpar. And when you know that the score was by Keith Emerson mm -hmm. of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer and lots of other legendary pieces mm -hmm. of music over the over the decades, it is a little bit of a shock, especially when you consider how well-regarded the score he did for Inferno is for yeah. Argento. Yeah, that was actually his first movie score, I think. Yeah. And from there, it kind of led to him having kind of a second career and doing a lot of interesting scores. And, and this one, yeah, he's just trying to write pop... <laughs> Yeah. Flash dance style, you know, dance pop songs, and it just yeah, you can't mistake that keyboard in there. It's like yeah, that's Keith Emerson, but yeah, the songs are yeah. <laughs> it's a little uh, square peg round hole. Yeah, very situation much so. where it's it's just not fitting. It's just not. He's he seems. Don't get me wrong. I can't. Who could fault the talent of Keith Emerson? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. Let's player. let's be blunt. Yeah. But I think he was unsuited to what he was being asked to do. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 a little strange. I found it I found it interesting. If you if you'll notice, uh, one of the things that I've always found of interest uh, past a certain point, the stylistic choice in the credit sequences for Lucio Fulci films is that all uh, all of the credits would be in lowercase letters. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. even people's names. It's true. But in the credit <laughs> sequence for Murder Rock, Keith Emerson's name is in all capitals. Yeah, nothing else. <laughs> Is capitalized, <laughs> except for <coughs> Keith Emerson's name. He's pretty much which, saying he, this is our star, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Well, also what it says to me is we paid a shitload of money for this guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So pay we're attention. Make, to that's right. We're gonna make sure you notice this. Because <laughs> what blows my mind is that you even get a. I mean, obviously they were open to cash in on a soundtrack because it even mentions that there's a soundtrack yeah. out there that mm -hmm. or that came out on a certain label, you know, which which uh, would be amazing to to track down a, a whatever, you know. I, I haven't. What do I take to track down a copy of that? Uh, it's probably come out now since it's probably been re-released. Oh, yeah. In fact, I think it has. In, by I, have, labels, I have a but, digital version. I have a yeah, digital version yeah. of it stashed, yes. Right, yeah. I don't know why, because I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah, but how do you know it's because it exists? Because it exists. <laughs> well, well, it, it exists, <laughs> and, it, and, and all I had to do to get it was to right-click. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. end, end of story, here it is. You know? So... As much as I uh, have a lot of, uh, you know, I, I will bow down and, and claim I am not worthy in front of Keith Emerson any day of the week, uh, this is not his finest work. It is not. And, of course, let's just say, and I'm not, I'm not wanting to jump to the end here, but this is also, I'm not ever going to claim, Lucio Fulci's finest work. No. But 
I do want to mount a bit of a defense of this against mm-hmm. some of the things that are often said about it because, yeah, it's a little weird. We're in 1984. The heyday of the giallo is long since past. Mm-hmm. And what we're talking about here is a movie where it seems like this is one of those things put together by a producer where he's like, hey, a couple of years ago, there was this really, really profitable film. Mm-hmm. And somebody went, Flashdance? And somebody else at the exact same time said, Fame? <laughs> and the producer went, Yes! And so it was somebody's job to like take Fame and Flashdance and ram them together and kill some people. With yeah. some death. Yes, Sorry, yeah. exactly. Jeff, had you seen this film before we started preparing for that? Had you watched it before you knew we were going to be podcasting on it? Uh, before we before we were, uh, talked about podcasting, no, I had not seen it. Oh, okay. Same here. This is I had not my first time to watch it. Now, I, when I, I knew we were going to be, I talked at some point about getting doing a podcast, so we hadn't actually scheduled it yet. But when I first got the the release uh, uh, that the came Scorpion Blu Ray, the Scorpion yeah. Blu Ray that's come out, uh, I got it, and knowing that you know I didn't go ahead and watch it for a first time, you know, but that wasn't that long ago. But so you're probably the only one, Rod. Did you see it back in bootleg days? Yes. Bootleg, so you yeah. saw it quite a bit for it. This was one of the uh, oh, it's a it's a full it's an '80s Fulci film that I haven't seen. Let me yeah. get let me get grab that bootleg and see what it is. Mm-hmm. And at the time. I can't remember exactly what I thought of it. Mm-hmm. I know I must have liked it enough to... I know I probably watched it more than once from that bootleg. Mm-hmm. But I, I know that at the time I thought, okay, this is like a, like several other of those those later to mid-80s Fulci films where they're not, they're not as incredibly rewatchable and over-the-top as uh, The Beyond or House mm-hmm. by the Cemetery or Zombie or anything like that. But it, it, it was one of those things where it's like there's there's enough interesting here that kept me coming back for more. And this I saw Murder Rock before I'd ever gotten a chance to see what I would refer to as Fulci's excellent Gialli, the mm. the ones that he made in the seventies. Yeah. That was that was before I'd gotten to see things like you know the Psychic and the other mm. stuff, the other films of that type. Uh, Don't torture a duckling even uh, long before I got to see those because mm-hmm. uh, I didn't see those until they came along on DVD. I want to mm. say, but I enjoyed it enough to be intrigued and then of course I also worked my way through you know some of the weirder stuff like Enigma and Manhattan yeah. Baby and and realized at the time that the major thing that seemed to be impeding these films might be their budget I think mm-hmm. that you know we all, we all know what happened in the 80s the, you know fewer fewer and fewer opportunities to make these films and lower and lower budgets and I think that that starts to show in these movies in a way that might hamper what they were trying to go for and it might have even like just reeled back what they thought they could accomplish even at script level it's like well we can't do that you know so let's let let's try to pull back in and and kind of try to keep it uh to x number of locations although let's be really i'm look i'm surprised he shot this after he shot new york ripper yeah and there's a lot of footage here also he was going back and forth across the atlantic shooting on location stuff in new york city yeah. Uh, of course, all the uh, all the interiors were shot back in Italy. Correct. And it's one of those things where you're you're going well that <clears throat> that costs money. <laughs> I mean, there's no yeah. The, the, so they're, they're, while we'll say these while we'll we'll say yeah yeah this is this is lower budget. It, it's not like they didn't have any money. Yeah, I think when I first watched watched it, I think the first overall impression I had out of it, of it was um, that. Uh, this film still has a nice visual style to it. I mean, you know, this has some yes. nice. Some some of it's kind of really obvious, and some of the choices are strange. But 
color wise and framing wise, I mean, there's some gorgeous shots, you know, in this film. Some great camera setups, you know, uh, and uh, and so the feeling, my feeling, overall feeling, first impression through it was was that Fulci was still had some of his same crew, you know, some of his people he'd worked with helping him with this, and that he, knowing, and you know, obviously he was in ill health at the time, but I, my feeling was that he was still invested in it. There, oh yeah, you know. Well, I, I I will praise the cinematography across the board. I think mm -hmm. it's phenomenally, beautifully shot. I think it's really well done. The, and actually, know, one of the scenes that you mentioned earlier, the 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 female basically jogging to the bathroom. I'm yeah. sorry, jogging to the shower, yeah. and she's way off in the distance. And I think it's just a gorgeous shot. Of course, she's yeah. got her leg warmers on. You can see yeah, that. Well, and yeah. she's only got the leg. She's got a towel in her hand and her leg warmers but on. It, so but it's wild to see that because she's like 50 feet away. Yeah. yeah. And, it's and just we watch her walk down that hallway. Right. It's just one one scene yep. and it's just perfectly lit. And uh, But I think there's so many scenes in this. Yeah. Well, like just, just look absolutely gorgeous. Even scenes that didn't have to be that could have been done much simpler. And didn't yes. have, like the scene where Olga Carlados is sitting on the park bench. And it's looking down oh, yes. by the that's river right. there. That's, that's right. an amazing shot there. Yeah. And you could yeah. you could have done that and set up that shot without paying near that much. Well, you didn't need you didn't even need that yeah. shot because you no, go right. from that shot to a close to a much closer shot so that mm. you can see her face yeah. before she's joined by another actor. It's like, well, you didn't even need that one shot, but it's like I'm so glad it's there because it it's really beautiful and it sets up what the the scene leads to, which is this. It shows her isolated by right. herself alone. Mm. Yeah. And, you could do it without that shot, and it would probably have been easier, faster, and cheaper. Yeah. But man, it's really nice, and it looks great. Yeah. I also love the fact that they do that thing with. Um, and it, it, you might think it's a weird choice, but I've seen it in other movies, and as soon as you realize what they're doing, it's one of those shocking things that's like, oh, okay, okay. But it's hard to do, and that's when the uh, the photographers are taking mm -hmm. pictures of the corpses. Yeah. And you have that mm -hmm. bright flash of light. I'm glad you brought that up. I was just about to bring that up. I was wanting Jeff's opinion on it, especially with him being a photographer, like what, what he thought about that touch and what struck you. Because it's right, it's an odd choice. It's an odd choice, but it's, and it's hard. Yeah. It, is, it is very odd. Yeah. I, I, was, I, didn't, I wasn't expecting that. Mm -hmm. But also then, each time after that, I was, I was trying to keep a mental note as in like, okay, this is only a cap happening mm -hmm. when the murders occur. This is only happening when the detectives are there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then... Uh, then later on in the police station, mm -hmm. you can see the, the the light source in the very very background. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I was just thinking, just like, are these going to start, you know, flashing along? As in, are we going to be offered, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, some sort of clue to, to re reason why these are here? Uh, mm -hmm. Are they flashing more often? Uh, mm -hmm. Is there? There's got to be a reason for this. Yeah. And apparently, I don't know. It, it was from the cinematographer saying that. Fulci just liked it. You just thought yeah. it was, you know, and that's and that's a good enough explanation if that's what it comes down to. You know, right. I, I, there's one point I thought, oh, it's a flash. It's supposed to make us think of flash dance, and then I quickly slapped myself <laughs> to make myself not have those, not have any of those thoughts like that anymore. You're the uh, only person who's ever thought that. <laughs> yeah, I probably am. <laughs> but I just love that movie. No, but but you're right. It is it is harsh at some point because yeah. it's totally blowing out. Um, yeah, the, yeah. The faces. Mm -hmm. And then and then of course but the that, actors but sometimes but flashes the actors can are do that. as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. And and and, and really and, and I mean that's what flashes do to you really right. in real yeah. life and so it could be that was just the whole thing right there is it's like it's like that's what really when you're in a room with somebody flashing, you know, a lot of times it gets you right in the eyes and you're like, you know, mm -hmm. it's disorienting and so that could be as good a reason as any too. So I just I, I really liked it because uh, especially the first time they're doing it she's uh, she's laid out it's a bathroom with all those white tiles mm -hmm. and so the, the the details the other colors are from like the the it's from the are from the characters you know the clothing that they're wearing mm -hmm. and so there's that bright white flash 
and it never goes completely white, but it's really close, and then it fades back down. And it, 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 I don't know. There's something about it that just automatically makes you start paying attention to every every movement in the frame, and it's like, which is great. I mean, it doesn't help you figure out who the murderer is <laughs> right. at, at all. Right, right. Yeah. But it's that's those, what I was looking for. There's yeah, there's yeah. gonna be some reason for right, this. Sure, yeah. yeah. But, but it's just a cleansing almost. It's it, also it's almost a it's almost a non character red herring because it's something oh, yeah. that so much draws your attention. You're exactly that as, right. as, as as someone going, Okay, this is a murder mystery, I need to start paying attention to details. Aha, 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 ha. No, doesn't help. <laughs> doesn't wait, wait, help. Do an SOS and no, 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 no. No, no, doesn't help. Doesn't help at all. Um, <laughs> um so he shot. He shot New York Ripper. Mm-hmm. Previous to this, uh, there were a couple movies in between as well. He shot Conquest after he shot New York Ripper. Um, Conquest probably took three days. I don't know. But the, um, <laughs> the he, he tra- he, he, one day of travel to Mexico, one day of shooting, one day back. But no, uh, but the, uh, the 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 joys of this is that in a weird way, the plot of this film is very similar to the structure of New York Ripper. The the big, yeah. big difference here is that this film is as close to bloodless as a film of this period <sighs> yeah. from Lucio Fulci would ever be. That's from, a very good anybody. point. It's, yeah. it's, it's so strange. It's hard to, it's amazing that he made this on the uh, the heels of New York Ripper. But yeah. now I may be referencing some here, uh, or just to point out on the uh, Scorpion release has a uh, audio commentary by Troy Howarth. That's yeah. very good. But, but Howarth at one point points out just how much of a you know stink there was over you know I mean the New York the nastiness oh, yeah. and brutality in New York Ripper mm-hmm. and speculates possibly you know he's that because of all that you know that that he was uh, I guess a bit mollified or, or tried to tone it down some although Howarth also points out that Fulci never really seemed like the type who would be intimidated by public opinion you know that but so I my alternate take he may be there may be one reason for it but I also almost feel like if this is almost uh, Fulci just being kind of a uh, impish and being just kind of like uh, thumbing his nose at all the people that you know by like okay I'm going to give you the, an absolute the most bloodless you know the most bloodless slasher you're possible, ever going to yeah. see if that's what you want you know I'm going to you know it just almost what? feels like a wink or something at, at people because it's just so I'm thinking like yeah you could not have come up with a I mean I mean, only if the victims were like poisoned by some non-painful That'd be the only way. Or instead of chloroforming, it was just, it was poison that they were inhaling through the cotton well, when they when they when yeah. they get when but they get chloroformed. It's, it's like that would be. It's, the, it's the amazing how little blood there yeah. actually is. But as in, as in if you were to ask that question, yeah. how do we kill somebody with the least yeah. amount of blood occurring? Yeah. Yeah, you know, like, okay, a, a hairpin. <laughs> I was about to say a single hat pin through the through the chest, straight into the heart, and they're dead. It's like, okay, well, then I guess they wouldn't bleed out much. No, all the bleeding would probably be internal. You know? There's even a line when they first when the first body is discovered between the, the the cop and the or the detective and uh, the, I guess the psychologist or whatever that's professor. Mm-hmm. That's uh, yeah, the uh, psychotherapy professor, yeah. Doctor Davis. It's either yes. between them or, or maybe the detective and another cop. But somebody mentions even mentions uh, well, they were chloroformed, you know, before they were killed and, and he says something defective so they didn't suffer or something like that. Again, it's almost like Fulci's just telling you right there, yeah. hey, they didn't even they weren't even in pain. They so weren't you have even nothing to complain about. They had a little know. they had a little fright and then they were asleep and dead. <laughs> it's just it's truly strange. It really is. Uh, they, but wouldn't you this may be a key. So this probably doesn't have this movie probably doesn't have a, a great overall reputation among Fulci 
fans in general, as I'm assuming, or at least I'm assuming they're probably very divided on it. I know it probably has its detractors, and one yeah. I will I will say I can I can sort of see their point if you were at a particular time, if you were just getting into Fulci and you had seen some of the really extreme. You know the classics. You know, oh yeah. If, you, if, you, if, you, if you'd started with Zombie and yeah. City of the Living Dead, and yeah, or even think of what if this was your first, you know, film you found in a rental store or something, and you had heard about this guy Fulci that's, you know, this gourmeister just makes these shocking, you know, films. Is you know, and this is your first exposure to it. I think it would be quite a come down if that's what you're, yeah, going and expecting. I mean, because by this time, we're we're. I mean, by the time this came out in '84, say you caught this on a on mm-hmm. a videotape in the mid '80s. Mm-hmm. Um, by then. You're probably aware of something like Brian De Palma's Dressed to Kill, and Dressed to Kill is more violent than this movie yeah. by far. Yeah. yeah, and that's a movie that's influenced by the giallos that yeah. were being made in Italy mm-hmm. throughout the '70s. And so, to come to this, if this were your first, you'd be like, well, "Are these? Are there? Is there any violence in any of these movies ever? I mean, <laughs> what did they do?" Well, I think it's important <laughs> to note that this being this is, is an, a giallo, and this is yeah. a masked, uh, gloved individual that's going around killing people true mm-hmm. and um it's it, it, you it is a thriller you're trying to find out who the actual murderer is just before, I, I don't know boy I, i'm really torn on the whole we always come to this question of do we want to spoil who the murderer is and mm. i'm kind of still on the fence about it a little mm. bit mm. but i will say this just as a general question this won't spoil anybody's anybody's experience with this movie whether they've seen it or not but since this was your first time seeing it, Jeff, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. you're, you have in recent memory the first time you saw it. I, right. I first saw it like 20 plus years ago. Uh-huh. Could you have ever, have ever guessed the murderer? No, I don't. I, don't. I, I did not. But um, real quick, I enjoyed this film the second, more the second time I saw it. Ah, now see that I, I would agree with you. That's yeah. where, that's kind of where I, I was going with too. this. Yeah. yeah, but but to answer your question, no, I, I didn't see that coming at all. Okay, okay. Because the no, I, I certainly didn't either. And you're right. The second time around is very fun, knowing what you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Certain things have certain you know it shed different light on certain on certain scenes taken from you know knowing who the killer is. So yeah, that's a very entertaining aspect. And then also trying to see does it all line up? You know, does it all like. Right. Well, on the second viewing, it does, and that's what's one of the neat things about it is that this is there the the killer, the actual killer, is arranging things so that they have the perfect patsy, mm-hmm. the perfect person to take the fall mm-hmm. for the murders. And they have alibi they, the entire they have, time. They have an alibi, and mm-hmm. they have a real motivation from their point of view to do this, mm-hmm. right? To not just kill those people, but to pin it on the person that they're planning to pin it on. Mm-hmm. If I have, and I'll try to say this again, spoiler free, but if uh, if I had any, one of the, uh, I guess, the complaints I have against this the film is I think some of the really interesting potential suspects kind of disappear from the film early on, and I'm not talking about necessarily by being killed, but just the characters that I think they could have kept going a little longer Mm-hmm. as potential suspects because they're kind of interesting to play the interesting characters kind of by the second half of the film either don't appear at all again or or just take a real far back seat so that you know you're you're kind of lim- you know now it's down to maybe two or three potential suspects but i think maybe those characters could have continued to be peppered in some scenes later yeah, on they should have still kind of be on and we can talk off air about you know like who, who what characters i'm talking about i'm not gonna say it right now mm-hmm. but that's just that's one thing i thought could have been a little better so 
Yeah, they should have been on screen a couple more times. Yeah, yeah, just and yeah. even just like one scene that took five mm. seconds. Yeah, it's just to like, remind okay, the audience, remind yeah. the audience that these are the other couple characters that might, might have been yeah, involved. Yeah, the, there's only there's one good red herring character who pops up a, enough times in the movie to remind you that this is this is a potential for mm-hmm. your, the murderer. Mm-hmm. And that's the the brother of the first yeah, victim. Yeah, and that is one that they do kind yeah. of keep in. He, but he's the only one. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. gone from some sections of the film, but he eventually comes back in the end again for some scenes, so at least it keeps him on your radar yeah. as far as, like, yeah, he's impossible. And then, you know, there's another character who's so obviously not the killer because that character is portrayed as the as so so suspicious. Yes, <laughs> yes. That, you know which one I'm talking exactly. about. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, it would just be too damned easy for it to be uh, yeah. that character. Right, because, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Great, so who's the murderer now? Me or Gloria? Or is it your darling little brother? Second year dance course starting in five minutes in hall number nine. Graduate students in hall 24. Five minutes, please. Oh, you're a real sicky kid. Why? Isn't he always pushing and hustling for you? He'd hold up your ass while you're dancing if he could. (laughs) All right, stop it. That's enough, Willie. What's the matter? You don't like what he said. If the kids are ready to kill themselves to get ahead, it's because you've turned them all into fanatics. Anything else, Margie? Why don't you just say that I'm the murderer and get it out of your system? Well, I guess you just cleared up what I had to say. Margie! Well, now, aren't we one big happy family here? It's touching. Margie can't forgive my taking over her course. If I may, Lieutenant, what Willie Stark said is absolutely absurd. It's based on nothing. Or else based on the fact that he's purposely forgetting that Susan and Janice used to hang out with their own crowd. And they had a lot of action going on outside the school. Hey, what do you mean by that, you bastard? You're overreacting. Everybody here knows how Susan and Janice used to make a few extra bucks. I'll kill you, you son of a... Are you trying to say that those girls are killed by someone you wouldn't define as a school friend? If you didn't have a one-track mind, you'd have looked into it instead of bugging us. (laughs) Yeah. Have you considered the uh, possibility of some paranoid among you who hates dancers and has decided to do you all in? (laughs) You know, I'll tell you something. He'd have my heartfelt approval. Let's go, Davis. Well, let's talk about the the main two actors uh, in the film. Uh, We've already kind of alluded to them. One is uh, Olga, well, you've you've talked about her, Olga uh, Karlatos, the uh, Greek actress who was, uh, well, (laughs) if... uh, if you've seen Zombie, you've seen her. Yes, yes, you have. Uh, quite a bit of her, actually. <laughs> we see quite a bit of her in this movie as well, but mm-hmm. uh, famously, she's, of course, the actress who uh, uh, has a, a an unfortunate encounter with a wood splinter and her eye yeah. in Zombie. Uh, she was a Greek actress, uh, and her family, when she was younger, because uh, because things were not going well in Greece, they, they, uh, they immigrated to uh, other countries, and uh, she ended up... Uh, Eventually, once she became an actress, uh, her first her first her first film was in Greece, but then uh, she started working in uh, Italy and other countries, Germany and things like that. She ended up working with people like Wolfgang Peterson mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, Enzo Castellari. She had a really juicy role in uh, Kioma. Uh, Fernando Del Leo. Mm-hmm. She was in uh, Blood and Diamonds for him. 
eventually, she also worked with Renee Cardona in uh, Cyclone, the yeah. the, <laughs> the infamous Cannibal, Cannibal on the Seas film. Uh, she had a she had a role in Once Upon a Time in America for Sergio Leone. Yeah. Hmm. She was uh, she played Prince's mother in Purple Rain. Yes, that's right. Wow, yeah, that's, that's, right. Right. that's right. And her last on-screen role, as far as I know, was a 1986 uh, episode of Miami Vice. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So she kind of uh, she kind of retired from filmmaking. Uh, eventually, went back to school, and by uh, around 2003 2004, she graduated from NYU with a master's. Then went to England to study law and became a barrister, a lawyer in Bermuda, where she lives. Or lived, as you may still uh, with, with her husband, uh, Arthur Rankin Jr. Arthur Rankin of Jr. Rankin Bass. Yeah. Wow! Yeah. So yeah. she gave up everything then. <laughs> she didn't do a damn thing after she, that. She, she, yeah, after she yeah, decided just, she just, wasn't going to yeah. do film and television anymore, it was just like you know, I guess I'll grow flowers <laughs> and become a lawyer. <laughs> Maybe it's Miami Vice. She, she was so turned off by it. she was done. That's right. She was yeah. done. I'm just going to do something different. Well, I I was wondering watching this film because she has such a because uh, she has the prominent role and and uh, does uh, yeah has such a, an important part in the film and I I sit there wondering if uh, I said, I wonder if this is like Fulci making it up to her for what he put her through in Zombie <laughs> <laughs> like, what he made maybe her do in Zombie <laughs> maybe we'll give you we'll give you a nice role where you don't yeah. get your eye gouged out how's that <laughs> well uh, and the other uh, big you know I would I would assume like name actor that most people uh, who are interested in European trash cinema. Uh, would would know is uh, Ray Lovelock. Yeah, who's the, uh, love Ray Lovelock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 who in a blue bajillion films in the seventies yeah. and eighties, and uh, he's he's you know, good lord, Living Dead in Manchester, more yeah. Queens of Evil, mm-hmm. uh, Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. Yeah. I mean, you could you could list his credits for days and and uh, still just kind of uh, keep going. Yeah, he uh, um, it's still it's it's always kind of even though he's been in so many other things, I knew him for so long first became familiar with him with Living Dead in Manchester Morgue yeah. with the facial hair and all that so it's always still kind of you know for a minute there it takes me a second you know when I see him without the mustache and beard you know that uh, to recognize him of course he's a little older in this film too but uh, but yeah uh, I like Ray Lovelock a, a lot he's very cool well it's wild is when he shot this he was supposedly born in 1950 so he would have been 34 yeah yeah hmm. and I'll be honest in this movie he looks a little older it's than amazing. that yeah he kind of looks more in his 40s or something yeah he know? really kind of does and of course he's playing a I guess actor slash model who has fallen on hard times yeah. you know and this yeah. is uh, who's, who's had yeah hit a career skid in this film and is a bit of a shady character and for unknown reasons has started showing up in yeah. in Candace uh, Candace Norman that's the act the character played by Olga uh, starts showing up in her damn nightmares mm-hmm. it's like he can't get jobs so he's got to start, he's got to start farming <laughs> himself out to dreams what the hell <laughs> boy he's a drinker well, there's that. I guess, I guess if you drink enough, you show up in other people's dreams? Uh, apparently. Well, that's the, I would have thought it would be the other way around. That's the only supernatural element of the film. <laughs> and in those dreams, he menaces you with a hat fan in 3D. Exactly. This is true. This is true. Uh, let's uh, let's use uh, this rough plot synopsis here to kind of walk our way through mm-hmm. this, and we'll talk about some of the other people as we go along. Uh, of course, the film takes place in fame. I mean, New York City. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, mostly around the Arts for the Living Center or Arts for Living Center mm-hmm. there in New York, which is a real place. Uh, Candace Norman, who is the Olga Carlotto's character, oversees the latest dance routine choreographed by Margie. That's uh, that's uh, Jaretta Marie Fields, who goes by the stage name Jaretta Jaretta. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Candace tells Margie that the act needs even more perfection mm-hmm. in preparation for a visit from mm-hmm. three talent agents. 
<laughs> the I'm I'm no expert on dance, yeah. choreographed or otherwise, but they really need a lot of work <laughs> from what I could see. I'm, I'm I'm not trying to be catty or weird. Well, or, fortunately, I'm an expert. Yeah, well, oh, well, good, good, Jeff. Let us. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you? Agree I've got I've got nothing to add though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, apparently there's just a, a lot of lot of anger in this studio and a lot of anger in this dance here, and everybody's kind of, you know, and, and that's the whole thing with the whole flash dance style of dancing too is is uh, it's sort of like uh, uh, dancing as self torture, you know, it's it's, it's, it's kind of like once the flash dance became huge, then dance had to become this sort of thing where if you're not suffering and sweaty and and you know and, and looking pained and exhausted while doing it you must be doing something wrong yeah you know? if, if, if you're, you're not, not giving 100 you're not slamming your head shaking you know, throwing your head and head if, in your hair if you're, if you're, if you're not like, jerking yourself in, in in ways that may possibly involve actually dislocating a, a, a joint or two in your shoulder then it's yeah. probably not actual jazz dance i don't know well uh well, we didn't mean. I, I, let me back up for a second. Before the movie actually starts, we get the credit sequence, which which is where we get our break dancing. So the so the film <laughs> starts you off with adding insult to injury. So we it's at a low level basically when it starts off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like uh, we're in a roller rink. It yeah. looks like to me, and we're gonna have some what look to be semi-professional break dancers who you know we like fed lunch <laughs> so that they would do this in yeah, front of the camera this is this is the this is italian gratuity and just the like you know gratuitousness <laughs> and just take it to the nth degree because you literally have an open sequence that has nothing else to do with the rest of the film it's once you've watched the film for the first time and then you go back and watch it again and like oh wow this doesn't have a single character that has anything <laughs> to do no with the rest of the film and at least the second dance sequence over the credits you know had or after the credits has why can they just put all the? They could have just put all the credits in that flash yeah. dance. In that, that's exactly. actually at least got characters. Very true. Yeah. That pair, but instead, we get the whole credit sequence that has no bearing, other than just to if hey, we hope it brings in some breakdance fans. Yeah. We hope they hear there's breakdance in this. We'll certainly put it in the trailer, trailer so that breakdance fans will come and see this film. This is really popular now, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put that in the film. <laughs> well, the 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 director of the academy uh, named Dick Gibson. Who's appropriately named? Oh, there's a lot of phallic. There's a Willie in there too. I know. There's a lot of phallic names in this lot, film. There's a lot of penis jokes that are just floating around in this thing. Well, he's played by uh, Claudio Casanelli. Uh, uh, he's uh, he meets with the TV producers Bob Steiner and John Morris, who watch a video of the dance routine. And Candace learns that the men will only select three of the dancers for an upcoming TV show. Now let's let's talk about the Academy director Dick, Dick Gibson for a second. Mm -hmm. Uh, he is one of the best red herrings in the film. Yeah, yeah. Because he is a horn dog mm -hmm. who is sleeping with at least two of the dancers. Yeah. And is like got designs on at least a third. Mm -hmm. And apparently used to sleep with Candace. Yeah, yeah. And it, I don't know why this guy's such a stud muffin, but apparently he's he's, he's got <laughs> apparently he's got some got some game because he's either got game or it's the. You know I own this place, yeah. right? And you know I can, yeah. He's I got know money. I can, I can, I can further your career. Yeah, I can yeah. put in a word for you. And, 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 yeah. I think one more thing with with it with Dick. I mean, the camera sits on him for, oh. an, for an extra ten seconds. <laughs> yeah. One more yes. thing with yes, we do one more of, thing with Dick. Yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> I just love the way you put that. Phrasing. Yeah, yeah phrasing. We're doing phrasing. Yeah, we're doing phrasing again, right? Yeah. Yeah, but but it does the camera on multiple occasions. Yeah. It it sits on him as in like what, oh he's going to give an extra facial expression right here. Yeah. As yeah. In, as yeah, in, right. This is what he feels about this right yeah. here that's going on right now. And of course he's watching, he's watching surveillance video. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's the entire time. The, the film is setting him up visually to be under suspicion. Right. I mean, and that's right. that's great. Yeah. Uh, and the actor is good at playing that kind of nebulous in between world where it's clear he's hiding something, 
But, you know, is he just hiding the fact that he's like immorally and unethically banging all these dancers? <laughs> or is he hiding the fact that he's sticking hat pins in people's chests? That's the question. But the, he's our first suspicious character. Yep. Yeah. Introduced yeah. after the breakdancing, of course. <laughs> <laughs> after the, he's introduced after the breakdancing. <laughs> I'm sure that's not how anybody would want to be described. No. Well, that evening after the dance class is over, one of the dancers, Susan, is murdered in the locker room by an unseen person who chloroforms, then stabs her in the heart with a long hat pin needle. Or, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a long thing. They could have used an ice pick for a lot <laughs> Well, New York Police Department Lieutenant Borges, uh, who, by the way, this actor... As far as I'm concerned, he kind of walks away with a lot of he's, the film. Yeah, he's yeah. He's this world weary Columbo guy. Yeah, yeah. Who's who's uh, who's chomping on nuts the entire time? Yeah, as well. I know. Yeah. It's like he's got a sunflower seed or peanut. He's kind uh, of a thing. he's kind of in a long a kind of a, you know one in a long line of kind of you know of a common motif of you know cops or detectives, inspectors, you know, in these films, you know, or, or that have some sort of. Tick yeah. or some sort of uh, thing they commonly do, mm -hmm. and a lot of times it is snacking on something or you know. Right. Well, not only that, he's got that that typical uh, post nineteen seventy thing, where it seems that their badge and gun was also issued with a trench coat. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's the uniform now. <laughs> Just put that on. <laughs> Carry your badge. You yeah. got the trench coat. Everyone will know that you're a detective. <laughs> they, they, yeah. yeah, exactly. And and he's uh, and and this aspect of Jalos is always one that's that's the. Uh, tricky to pull off uh, because you know the, the the police aspect the police uh, uh, investigative aspect of it can a lot of times they can you know come off as total doofuses or totally clueless yeah he comes off very well I think his character is very well written you know he's not an idiot you know and and, mm -hmm. and, and, and I like the pairing with him and his psychologist friend there you know his professor friend there he's got kind of a nice rapport going there they do seem to bounce things off of each yeah. other as well yeah yeah, yeah. And it's and of course it's just it's a t it's a typical thing where you, that you kind of have to have in a movie where you're trying to get the information to the audience, which yeah. is you got to have these two characters bouncing things back and forth. Right. But it's well done here. It is. And mm -hmm. the actors are good at doing it, and so it always feels. I mean, it always feels natural. It doesn't feel like you're being fed information. It feels like you're right. watching these two feet trying to figure shit out. Yeah. Well, with Candace nowhere to be found, uh, suspicion begins to focus not only on her but on the victim's boyfriend, Willie Stark. Willie and Willie. Dick. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> yes, yes, yes. Well, Candace then arrives back at her apartment where she finds Dick waiting. And by that we mean like the character. The character. The character, the character. Dick, not yeah. like boyfriend. I've seen this yeah. twice, and are you sure about that? I'm positive. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, he wants to talk about the potential relationships between the students and tries to convince Candace that there is nothing going on between him and any of the other students. But it's obvious he's lying. Yes. While he's there... The DJ from the studio, Bob, phones Candace and updates her on the murder at the academy. The next day, the routine at the campus continues as normal, causing Dick a great deal of upset since nobody seems to care about Susan's death. Well, you know, we got to get on with this, dude. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. This is a cutthroat world. Uh, so, only three of us are going to get chosen, so hey. Uh, <laughs> well, at a nearby coffee shop, Lieutenant Borges talks with... With uh, with Dick about possible, I can't. I gotta stop doing that. Okay. He's killing Richard instead. Maybe I, maybe that would help. <laughs> Lieutenant Borges talks talks to Richard. That's the red herring one. We'll call him <laughs> red, yeah, red herring one. one. That's maybe. good. I like that. <clears throat> about a possible rival rivalry between the dancers. That evening at a local nightclub, another student from the academy, Janice, dances alone for an audience, 
and walks away with my heart. No, um, <laughs> and then he's 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 walks. Yes, now that actress, or she's was she not? Well, she's a, she was a dancer who was yeah. cast in this film mm-hmm. as an actress, and she's mind-bendingly attractive, mm-hmm. and is very scantily clad in this mm-hmm. dance sequence, and it's obvious that she's an actual dancer. Who was hired? I mean, she's not even given screen credit. Well, though. We don't even know her name. Well, most of the dancers, especially the female ones, you know, yeah. are are uh, word dancers that were hired as actors. And you can see the logic behind that because you don't have the budget or time to take actors and train them to be dancers, yeah, you know, to this level. So, I, one of the things I was impressed with the film was I think that they're all come off as fairly decent for what they're doing, actors, considering that they were most of them are dancers first, yeah. you know, that actually they're not bad. Especially her, she did a fantastic she did, job. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's really good. And I yeah. believe this was her only film. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just this, maybe one other. I can't, I can't remember, but yeah, she didn't do, do anything else. But well, I, I, I was just going to say, I, I think that, um, you know, the, the, uh, and you talked the scene about where she's dancing, obviously in some kind of dark, darkly lit place around, you know, with people watching. Yeah. You know, she does her her dance routine, and it's referenced later in the film that she and one of the other girls, you know, they talk about her, you know, making their money elsewhere out of. I mean, they're sort of in, oh, yeah. in hinting that that they were prostitutes, you know, right, that they were right. like, you know, getting, right. but maybe we're supposed to assume that that she was uh, after this dance sequence she did that maybe she has sex with people. I don't know, but. Really, what it looks like is like she's being paid by just like you know dance fetishists, you know, just sit around and watch her, you yeah, know, I mean, the, do erotic the, the, dance or something because yeah. she's not nude. She had a very revealing costume, which, which that could be the flash dance. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm being yeah. totally honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what that seems like, to be. It's yeah, exactly yeah, just that. a flash yeah. dance yeah. reference, and mm-hmm. yeah. But nevertheless, it's an it's an arresting sequence yes, of the film. Yes, it is. It's one that requires many rewatches. I'm just. Or am I the only one? No, no, you're you're not. Uh, well, anyway, uh, uh, when uh, that when this dancer we're talking about, whose whose name is Janice, uh, goes home that night, she finds Willie waiting mm. and wanting to talk. <laughs> She's got a talking Willie waiting for her at home. Talking Willie, that's right. In her bedroom, Janice finds a photograph of Willie and Susan, but when she calls out to him, he's gone. He's left. Janice finds her pet canary dead with a, a, a pin needle stuck through its body. I really hope it was chloroformed first. Who knows? <laughs> pa- I really hope it was a fake, but I have a feeling <laughs> yeah, it probably well, was. I was going to say, this is Italian film. I so. suspect it was a real bird. Uh, panicked, she runs to the front door where she is attacked and killed by the unseen assailant who once again sticks a needle through the heart. Mm-hmm. Well, this is two murders. Yes, <laughs> I feel uh, like the count on Sesame Street. Yeah, two. Two. <laughs> <laughs> Candace begins having nightmares of being attacked by a handsome young man, Ray Lovelock, who's actually 34, <laughs> wielding a long ornamental needle identical to the one used in the killings. Candace becomes more obsessed with the dream assailant when she sees an advertising billboard which features him prominently. Unable to shake the feeling that they are in some way predetermined to meet, Candace tracks down the man in the poster to the seedy Fulton Hotel, a real place in New York City, and bribes the desk clerk for the key to Mr. Robinson's room. Now, anybody else amused by the character name? It's like, instead of Mrs. Robinson, Mr. it's Mr. Mr. Robinson. She explores the room, but is shocked when the handsome model returns suddenly. The man introduces himself as George Webb, who, to Candace's repulsion, is a drunken and disheveled wreck. With what seems like disappointment mingled with terror, Candace flees from the room, leaving her person ID behind. Yes, yes. 
at that point, uh, you'll have want to, wanted to have watched this film a second time. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> meanwhile, Lieutenant Borges records a phone call to the police station from a person claiming to be the killer. When a voice analyst identifies it as Bart, one of the dancers, Borges arrests him. Bart confesses to the phone calls as well as to killing Susan because she was crazy and Janice because she was Hispanic. Borges, however, states his belief that Bart is not the killer but a pathological liar, which is pretty much true because the guy doesn't seem to be able to get the details right. <laughs> well, uh, <clears throat> that's, uh, that's at least one of the great lines in the film there. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? The the uh, where the you know where the, the they're discussing him after he leaves the the detective and his his his, his partner there you know and then uh, and and the guy says so so is he a psycho or is not a psycho and he said he's he's not a psycho he's an asshole yeah <laughs> that's really great I love when I honestly love it when he jumps up and he says and I hate the Hispanics yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. it's, like, it's like wow okay yeah. it's like the, you're just begging for attention yeah <laughs> yeah that's all really you're doing <laughs> well. Uh, George George Webb, the 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 down on his luck Ray Lovelock character, goes to the academy to return Candace's purse, where another dancer Gloria recognizes him from a modeling show they appeared in years earlier, and uh, throws a massive lip lock on him. <laughs> I'd say she remembers him very well, apparently. Well, uh, Dick sees George. Dick, okay, okay. I know. I know. The, the red herring one. The guy, yeah, the red herring one. Richard, the guy who runs this place, or owns this place, mm. sees George and Candace on a security monitor and calls Borges to say that George must be the killer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Over lunch at a local Chinese restaurant, the relationship between Candace and George becomes closer when she confides in him about an incident years earlier, when a man on a motorcycle ran her over in a hit and run, putting an end to her dancing career and forcing her into teaching. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Which is very inter interesting because at that point in the film, we have one of my favorite dance movie cliches. That would be the classic trope of the promising young dancer whose career was derailed uh, by an accident. Yes. Yep, yes. Yep. Usually it's a car accident. Mm -hmm. But it's, in this case, it's a motorcycle accident. Okay. It's like, if you see anyone who is teaching dance in any movie that involves multiple dancers, I guarantee you mm -hmm. she was a promising young dancer whose career was cut short by a hideous accident in her youth. Yeah. <laughs> Every yeah. time. Yes. Don't know why this is so much. I don't know why this, I don't know, I don't know why it reoccurs. I don't know why it's on. It's like, are there thousands of these women out there who walk in front of cars or hit by trains or slammed by buses? I mean, what in the hell? Can it be that common that it shows up in every freaking movie with dancers? How? Yes. How? Sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> I just, I just feel that uh, in a movie... Take his pulse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah in, a, in a movie that only boasts five murders, mm. I need to know why this piece is there taking yeah. up space. I need to know why we have melodrama, st mm. melodrama part two shoved into this narrative. Let's sidetrack a minute and talk about this murder method too because I know okay. I think we were all kind of amused by the uh, shocking terror of the, of the incoming chloroform <laughs> that that apparently... I would like to think if somebody was approaching me with a chloroform rag, holding it up high and walking several steps from me, that I would have a minute to figure out a defense to knock it strategy away? or something that maybe cover my face or something, you know, or just, yeah, it's just something. It does to... seem like there's a, there's a couple feet. Yeah. 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 Between yeah. you and the chloroform. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, does the lingering scent, the faint scent of chloroform somewhere in the room somehow discombobulate you so that you're 
unable to perhaps swing your arms in a fashion that would <laughs> knock the thing away from your face. I don't know. Is is it what we don't see? Is it on the rag? Is it written like "I'm going to kill you" or you know, or, or, <laughs> or something? Yeah, or, just, or, or scream. Just says scream. scream or, now. or if you. <laughs> If, if you can read this, you're too close. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> objects, objects in the cotton swab are closer than they seem. Right? I don't know. Anything. But this does have, happen with every single murder. It really does. Yeah. So yes. It, is, yes. it is jarring to, to yeah. try like, wait a minute. This is the fourth time we've done this. Yeah. They should not be scared like this. They shouldn't just stand there and scream. But by the third victim, at least, they would have realized, Oh shit! This is chloroform. This is yeah. like the other two. Yeah. <laughs> and by the fourth one, you're going, okay. There were three people who were killed by somebody with chloroform. I'm not falling for this shit. I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna be the next victim. Like, I'm gonna find a way out of this problem. Rod and I watched enough Lionel Atwell films that we know the dangers. <laughs> yes. They know the dangers of chloroform and what can be in the hands of the wrong person. So well, yeah. you know, you don't want Lionel Atwell and a bottle of chloroform uh, in the same room because no, people don't. gonna start dying. <laughs> And, and suddenly that mad scientist gene is going to creep right out. <laughs> He's going to start doing weird shit. Took some nerd to call me up like that. I wanted my purse back. Is that the only reason? I also wanted to see you. Unusual to say the least. You dream that somebody kills you and actually go out looking for the guy. Maybe you saw me in some old films. I worked in the movies once. No, I don't think I've seen any of your movies. Well, then how can you turn on a face that you've never seen before? That's just the point. Somewhere, somehow, I've already met you. Well, how do you like me as a murderer? In the dream, you acted the part perfectly. My best performance, and nobody will see it. <laughs> Maybe I ought to get into the dream market, seeing as how nothing materializes in the movies. <sighs> nothing ever does if you give up. Maybe I can do something for you. I've got a friend who's big in advertising. Tomorrow you won't even know who I am anymore. Before we go any further, I wanted to talk about it. It happens right after the second murder, actually. Uh, about 30 minutes into the movie, we get one of my favorite things in all murder mysteries who want to uh, like set up lots and lots of potential murderers for the audience to chew over as the film progresses. Oh, yeah. and that is the classic all suspects in a single room. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And we even get the added bonus of having the camera sit in the middle of the room yeah. and just slowly, slowly rotate around and show rotate. us yeah. all of them. <laughs> and all of them with varying looks on their faces that are somewhere between, I want a cookie, or I wish I hadn't murdered that woman. That's the or, part where you expected to just stop. I've it. got to pee. It's the where you expected to freeze frame and voices come over and say, it's the murder, the murder clock is on. You know? yeah. and you guess, in five seconds to guess the murderer. And, you know, that kind of thing. and I, I absolutely love that because it's usually, it's, oh, it's yeah. very much something I think of when I think about Agatha Christie exactly. stories. Yeah. Where mm -hmm. it's like, okay, we have X number of, of mm. potential murderers here. And we're gonna show you know we're gonna gather them all in a room and get, let you get a look at them. And then at the end of the movie, however many of them are still around, we're gonna gather them in the same room <laughs> and we're gonna start picking our way through them and figuring out which one's actually the murderer. Well, there's actually kind of a cool variation on that scene earlier in the film that I thought was pretty kind of well done. After the uh, first murder, is when the first victim is taken 
out on the stretch, you know, on the yes. on the, the rolling out is that on they the do gurney, this the gurney. scene kind of looking yeah. from going down both from both sides because all of the this time all the suspects They're lined are lined up, up, up hallway, on either yeah. side of the hallway mm-hmm. and we get down, you know, we say we're already, you know, I, pr- I prefer the the camera yeah, mounted in the, in the middle of the room the middle, that just yeah. rotates around and shows us everybody. <laughs> I, I, I think that's oh, that's 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 pretty fucking smooth. <laughs> it's just to remind the audience, yeah, it's just like here's who here's who you got. Here are the people who could be. That's right. Pick one of these. Yep. 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 Well, uh, while we're back at Candace's apartment, uh, she uh, she's there with George, but uh, and it's and it's clear that they're moving toward the we've had Chinese food. It's time for sex portion mm-hmm. of the evening. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she gets a phone call from uh, from Phil, who's a friend of hers. He's a local talent agent who is played by Lucio Fulci himself. Yeah, sure. That's is. his cameo in the film. He's he usually plays a police detective who has absolutely nothing to do with the story. Right. Uh, and but in this, he's 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 a talent agent. Who's made a background ch- background check on her uh, about George to find out uh, just you know what he may have done in the past, and informs her that our buddy played by Ray Lovelock once had an affair with a young girl who later died. Oops. As a matter of fact, they're very clear about the fact that she was underage. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he was a suspect in her death, or in, at least in whatever method of death that she encountered. Suddenly, kind of puts the puts the cold water on that evening, and I don't think anything's going to go down there. Well, at the studio the next day, Candace is attacked. Oh no! It's the, wait, it's that night. She goes to the studio that mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. Yep. Candace is attacked by Margie using the killer's mo, but she can't follow through. She's about to plunge mm-hmm. a, 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 a hat pin or a needle into poor old uh, Candace's heart breast. I mean, we just get a long, lingering look at it at, at Olga's breast. To be honest, this is a really bizarre scene. It is, yeah. That, but the Margie, the Margie breaks down and starts crying, and yeah. she can't follow through. It's very clear that Margie hates her and wants yeah. to kill her, mm-hmm. but can't bring herself to do it. Which means that she's not the damn murderer. Not the murderer. It's a strange, but but it also kind of underscores a line from earlier in the film where somebody refers to the dance school as a nest of vipers. You know, it's a nest yeah. of, like, it is a nest of vipers, man. You got, like, yep. everybody hates That's right. everybody. Cut, cutthroat environment. Yeah. Yeah. You got to give Margie credit here. She's, She's played by Jaretta Jaretta. Oh, yeah. yeah. You got to give her credit. She thought, if I do this in the right way, it'll just be another, another notch on the murderer's uh, bedpost and we can just yeah. move on with this yeah. and I get away with it easy <laughs> and apparently she went to Walmart that day and acquired another hat pin that looked very yeah. similar <laughs> very similar but not exact but close enough hey hey pretty close uh, now we get to a few days later Jill another dancer babysits for the wheelchair bra- wheelchair bound Molly who takes pictures of her she's a she's a bit of a shutterbug. when Jill answers a knock on the front door the killer forces his way into the apartment and stabs her with the needle through the chest again. Well, chloroform first. <laughs> of course, you got to leave with the chloroform, or you're yep, just yep. not you're just not Lionel Atwell. Because you, you want to scream yeah. first. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mo- Molly, of course, frantically snaps away with her camera, but does not get a clear view of the killer's face. And I just want to point out here that when we see those photographs when they're developed later. They're at the there's wrong no, fucking angle. There's, there's, no, there's way no way that that, that, that girl in that wheelchair uh, on that second floor landing yeah. was able to take those photographs. It's just not possible. Plus, she takes like, you know, 10, <coughs> ten or so of them. Where are the rest? You know, we basically get yeah. two photos she obviously took earlier, you know, and then we just get one. 
But I do. We got to point out that Molly's played by an, uh, one of the uh, great, in a, great in a subgenre that apparently the Italians loved was the creepy red-haired little girl. <laughs> this one is uh, played. This is Silvio Colatina. Uh, most is, people, what is it about Italians and redheaded children? I know it's like, and they and, and, and uh, she's most she's most best known uh, for House by the Cemetery uh, being yeah. in that. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, I think this was the last film she did, actually, I believe, or uh, one of the last. Uh, but she. Uh, um, I, but I love the fact that they even have that, you know, when it first comes in on them and she's making her watch, look at photos she's taking of bugs. I mean, it's like they're going out of their way, <laughs> going out of their way to like, we want to make these little red-haired girls as creepy as possible. And so, you know. So they're make them as, what they don't show you is the voodoo doll that she's got underneath her. <laughs> yeah. she, she, she's got a, she's got a, a group of, of Russian nesting dolls and with the, with the, the smaller ones, you know, become more and more hideous looking and the, the bottom one actually just explodes in blood. <laughs> She's just a strange, strange creature. <laughs> I would like to say something. We've gotten, what, three murders so far? Yeah, we're oh. up to the third, yes. Okay, so the sound of the hat pin when it's entering the breast huh, okay. to, stop, to stop the heart, it's, to, it's just crunchy. It's just bizarre, and and so I don't, I don't think I even noticed. I don't think I even noticed that. Oh my god, I had thought about it, but as soon as you said it, I realized what you're saying. You just yeah. have you just have to see it. So again, three murders in, and um, and basically when they use the hat pin, mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like first of all the foley artist did not have a large supply of sounds, so it just sounds like they're you're, you're plunging a hammer into a bag of Captain Crunch cereal. <laughs> Or, or but, maybe shoving your finger into a pile of loose granola. <laughs> but the thing yeah, is, is yeah. really there should not have been any sound at all. We didn't need a sound. Virtually they, but nothing. They felt was in that we exactly. must have it. They must have felt we've got to have some kind of sound effect. What? What? What do we use? So yeah, oh, there should uh, have been one. Bag of Captain Crunch cereal. <laughs> That's the first thing that jumps to mind. <laughs> I guess you're supposed to be piercing all that cartilage there, you know. I, you know, there, you know I guess that is just I mean, yeah. You're right. There should not have been a. <laughs> so there should there should be almost no sound and almost no blood. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but we got almost no blood part but then we got the sound of just crunching what, what you're reminding me of is that that bizarre movie thing of dealing with you know some kind of creature mm. that is dangerous don't get oh. me wrong but that doesn't make a noise oh, yeah. so, like and, a giant ant that roars like yeah a exactly so just, we have yeah. to add some kind of noise so that if there's a visceral something on the soundtrack like, telling you this thing is attacking yeah a- anaconda the movie anaconda yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like is is the anaconda roaring right now? <laughs> should that be roaring? Should, should this be happening? It's, it's like when you hear a hear a shark, you know, and yeah. they're, they're a shark, all of a sudden they're roaring or they're they're growling. Well, it wasn't in some until way. 1975 that we knew that sharks had their own soundtrack. <laughs> well, so well, well, we even pointed out on you know in the Nashi cast many times when we come across the thrown cat, you know, thing yes. there that there's always the, they always throw in a meow. Although in real life, cats rarely meow when they jump, you know. No, and no, yet no. here we've got you well, know. But they but we we refer to it as the spring loaded cat. The spring loaded cat. And I, and I cat. guarantee you, if somebody was shoving that cat off a shelf, <laughs> it'd probably make a noise that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, ah! That's true. Most of the times, they are being thrown against their will into the camera range. There, you know, so. yeah, I don't think any cat has ever entered entered the scene in flight. Yeah. <laughs> In, in, in any way other than against its will. It's not happy about Definitely that. not having a good time. Definitely not purring. Yeah. Nope, nope. Very little purring involved. Good Lord. Well, uh, the uh, the police then arrest Dick. <laughs> That'd be yes. red herring number one. Yeah. When he's found running away from the apartment building, mm-hmm. claiming that he only arrived after the attack to find Jill dead. And that, that's just so stupid it has to be true, right? Yes. Yeah, well. <laughs> it's like, you can't come up with a better excuse than that. 
The following night, the killer attacks and kills Gloria in the locker room in the same manner. Mm-hmm. So that's the fourth victim. Mm-hmm. And we are no closer to figuring out who this is other than we know it can't be the people who died. <laughs> right. Right? They're, they're out. <laughs> and we know it's not Margie because she couldn't follow through on right, killing the right. one that we saw her do. Right. Wuss. <sighs> so sad. Well, I'm kind of worried about how much further we can go, but I will do this piece, which mm-hmm. is in George's hotel room, Candace lets herself in and finds a uh, one of those hat pins and a bottle of chloroform in a drawer in his kitchen. Or at least that's what she claims. Yes. Candace rushes out to her car and drives away. George arrives and seeing what Candace found, tries to call her at her apartment, but she's not home. At the police station, Candace tells Borgia of her discovery and that George must be the killer and names the hotel where he is living. Candace then goes over to the academy, which has been closed down for the night, and finds Gloria dead in the locker room. She calls Borgia and tells him to meet her at the academy. Now, I'm going to kind of try to cut it off there. Okay. I'm not a, I'm not averse to, dis, to discussing a little bit more past that, but anything past that, and you'll all find out that it's the cop who's the murderer. I mean, no. no, no. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, I said it. It's I said a little it. girl in the wheelchair. I mean... <laughs> 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 it's, an, it's an alien from another film. Yeah. <laughs> um, this, this is, as we've already alluded to, mm. I don't think any of us are ever going to put this in, in, in the top tier Lucio Fulci film, but the thing is, it is an interesting late period giallo. Yeah. It's an interesting late period Fulci film. It is not, it, it doesn't, it's not Fulci firing on all thrusters, but it is also far from being the kind of thing that is an embarrassment. This is a pretty well-made little movie, regardless of where it falls in his career as far as quality is concerned. Because, yeah, yeah, I'd put... I mean, I'd, come on, man. There's like 15 to 20 movies I'd put above this mm. in his career. But that doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I was going to ask you guys because I've, I've really instilled in all my Fulci watching and I still have quite a... You know, I still have plenty, you know, to, to, to go. But um, I've never seen a Fulci film that you know that I would consider bad and I know people talk about a lot of them that are you know and so like even something that's there's some that are just nuts you know like Conquest and things like that you know that are just you know that might again might not necessarily go good but are entertainingly crazy right but I was gonna ask you guys because you guys may have seen I know wasn't there some I mean, what I mean, what what Fulci film would you consider really lower tier because I know Troy Howard kind of calls this this one we're doing here Murder Rock described it as, as like mid-tier Fulci and to me that seems probably that's where about it, yeah. right but I have to say personally I've not yet come across one of the ones that people talk about oh my god that one's just awful you know so I, I, I what what films yeah I haven't seen any Fulci films that I thought were awful in any way mm-hmm. uh, I think um, wasn't there something he did that was considered that they made they, they kind of retitled as one of the zombie sequels or like uh, or, or not or am I thinking one he, he, partially, partially, filmed. he partially filmed what's known as zombie 3 that's right it was just yeah he made and then it was finished by Bruno Mattai. Yeah. And which says it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, which kind of does say it all. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Zombie 3 is an entertaining film, not for the reasons that Zombie is an entertaining <laughs> film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and by the way, the reason it's called Zombie 3 is because <clears throat> officially in Italy, Dawn of the Dead was called Zombie. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucio Fulci's film Zombie was known as Zombie 2, right. and therefore this would be Zombie 3. It gets weird, people. It gets really Well, because ultimately weird. there's like Zombie 5s and 6s out yes. there, which that, that was not even, I mean, that's basically where they got the license to do. Yeah. They got the license to release some sort of zombie film and just threw it into that series. But also before this film came out, there was Zombie 2 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> and after there was, there was, there was, there was Flash Zombie in it. <laughs> Which, but, strangely enough, involved a zombie Flash Gordon. Yeah. Not what <laughs> no, you thought. Wow, wow, not what yeah. you thought at all. I'm glad I didn't rent that, expecting it to be a, a, a <laughs> here's, zombie here's, here's the thing. Um, to me, the things that Fulci made that are really down at the bottom were shot in the late 80s. That's kind of what I was figuring. Yeah. Things like House of Clocks. Mm. I'm not saying that they're awful, but they are well below what you would expect. Sweet House of Horrors. It, it, they're, they're, these are like in 1989 they're not don't get me wrong I'm more than willing to revisit them and I kind of intend to mm-hmm. but they're not great mm-hmm. they don't they're, they're TV productions mm-hmm. uh, which means that you kind of have to scale back your uh, your expectations for what he's going to be able to aim for what what the and really kind of what the goal of the pe- of the piece would be I have some kind of mixed feelings about uh, another one of those films called The Touch of Death, which stars Brett Halsey, oh, because one, yeah. there's some really interesting stuff going on in that movie, and I need to re-watch it. Mm. I haven't seen it in, I haven't seen it in years, and it's one of those things that while you're watching it, you keep thinking, I may be I may be in the wrong mood for this now, or mm. there's something about mm. this that is just off for me and I don't know what it is. So I for me the stuff that doesn't work and doesn't feel like it's worth Recommending to other people is the stuff that that comes well after this. Yeah. The uh, there are a lot, there are a lot of people who are willing to claim that uh, things like Manhattan Baby and Enigma um, are 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 well, they, those would be that for those people that they don't they, they don't think they're very good and they think they're pretty. As a matter of fact, they say they're awful. Uh, I disagree because I I'm always entertained by those movies as bizarre as they are. It's just that I think that. Sometimes you get opinions on Fulci from people, especially in America, I have to admit, where what they're what they're actually critiquing is the fact that it didn't it didn't rock their, their gonads in quite the same way as those four horror films. I was just gonna say that. I think mm-hmm. that's a perfect point, is that so many people I think come to Fulci I mean, in a way, he was almost cursed by his three classics, you know, Zombie Beyond and I mean it, it as far as shedding light yeah. on everything, Zombie Beyond and, and Gates of Hell or you know, is, is that that it yeah. threw such a shadow over everything else that so many people come to every Fulci film waiting from for that waiting angle. for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, right. wanting those those types of yeah. kind of visceral violent th- thrills. And it's like if you back up in his in his filmography, you can find some of that for instance, I will highly recommend his spaghetti western uh, Four of the Apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend the giallos he made in the seventies. Don't torture a duckling, the yeah. psychic. Because I think there are some people who would actually consider those to be some of those yes. films to be his best films. More I, than I would his agree. Films, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I would think that uh, honestly, if you want to talk about a top five for Fulci, if you don't include Don't Torture a Duckling, yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know if you that's a good if one. you've even watched the film. I mean, yeah. it's brilliant. It it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant film. But the uh, the the bad ones, the ones that, well, first of all, <laughs> I've now seen a couple of his, his comedies from the 60s, and I can tell you right now, you ain't seen Bad Fulci until you've seen <laughs> a, a, a yeah. damn 
damned, oh God, who is that comedy duo that Italian? Oh God, guy? the uh, Chicho. Franco uh, and Chicho. Franco and Chicho. God, that's right. I forgot. Yeah, you, you ain't you ain't lived until you suffered through one of them damn things and tried to put together a coherent thought process to, <laughs> to, to record for a podcast. I'm telling you right now, it ain't fun. <laughs> but that's you know, it's it's also comparing apples and oranges. Yeah, I mean, sure. That's mm-hmm. a that is a comedic film. Yeah, and. Fulci made a lot of those movies. Yeah. I mean, a whole lot. He was known for being really, really good at making comedies in the '60s. He made a long, he made a lot of those, and he made a good living doing it. I was surprised to find out that this was not the first. I mean, not that this is really a musical, but that he had directed actually yep. a couple of musicals and even wrote some of the music for the yep. for those, which that yep. really surprised me. See, that's the thing is, <clears throat> to my mind, my favorite Fulci films are, were made primarily in the '70s. Yeah, and they really weren't the horror films. Don't get me wrong. The Beyond is going to go in my top five every every time I make a list of, course. of Lucio Fulci films. There's just yeah. something amazing about that movie. But i got to be honest, Zombie might get pushed out of that five. Mm. Those other horror films might get pushed out of the, that five simply because what he did in the 70s, Don't Torture a Duckling mm. and Four for the Apocalypse, just those movies that stretch. Beatrice Chinse from 1969. Mm. Those are better movies in my opinion. They're yeah. much better movies. Mm. But... You know, your mileage may vary. Yeah. So, I'll say this. I've not been ever disappointed that I sat down to watch mm-hmm. a Lucio Fulci yeah. film, even if it was one that I didn't particularly end up enjoying. Cool. So, mm-hmm. I always felt that I was at least adding something to my mm-hmm. knowledge, not just of of his career and of what he was accomplishing over the course of his career mm-hmm. as, cha- as things changed. Because I, I can tell you this, Lucio Fulci's career is a great case study in the Italian, the oh, Italian right. genre cinema Absolutely. and how it changed over time. Yeah. Because to start out where he was and to end up where he did shows you how the the fate of Italian genre cinema altered and changed and morphed. And it's if for no other good reason, he's just a really great case study for that. But you're also going to get a lot of really great movies. So. Yeah. Well, the, this is the question for the both of you. Normally we do that one to ten scale, you know, mm-hmm. Where would you rate it? And uh, I don't rate this this film that particularly high on the one to ten scale. And I wondered where it would fall for you guys, just out of mm-hmm. just as as a, as a ballpark figure. Jeff, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, you, you instantly start thinking about other Fulci films, right? Yeah. Um, which I would think, uh, if I can, you know, voice real quick about uh, Manhattan Baby. I I think it's. I'm glad I saw it, but it's not a finished film in my view. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it's 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 like it ended. Early, not necessarily as in time-wise, but ended early in story. Um, but I think this film is, um, for me, it's uh, probably about mid-level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and it, if you remember, I, I did mention that I enjoyed it more watching it the second yeah. time. Yeah. And I'm honest about that. It wasn't just that I was picking up on more. I honestly enjoyed it more the second mm-hmm. time. Yeah. I think that's the sign of a good murder mystery, though. Yeah. Yes. Because Correct. if watching it a second time, you like it more... That means the pieces actually fit yeah. when you know the yeah. answer. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and the right. certain scenes and the certain scenes get a total different spin put on them, you yeah. know, which is mm-hmm. neat. And there's a there's a pleasure to picking up on that and you watch that. And, and so yeah, I mean I I uh, if you were looking for kind of what we stand to do with a, a I mean I probably would have given it a six out of ten. Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, but it's a but it's a an admirable six. I mean I, I mean I think it's a good movie. I think it is. I think the mystery is is a fun one. I think it does hold up pretty well on the rewatch. Um, it visually, we've talked about, you know, it's a visually very well done film, you know, I mean, it's, again, it feels like Fulci is still invested in what he's doing, 
you know, it's it's a uh, the, the the really scary thing over it all is uh, is to find out that this was actually going to be a planned trilogy of dance giallos. <laughs> it was actually going to be. Well, well, I thought I thought the idea was to focus the the. The mysteries around music, the world of music. Well, maybe it's just music in general, yeah, not necessarily that. I think that I think that's my memory, and I kind of like that idea. Because I'm kind of terrified that we might have eventually gotten the line dancing jello, which would have been particularly <laughs> frightening, you know. Well, 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 <laughs> or at least wait. an intro over the credits of line dancing, even if it has nothing to do with the rest. Everybody stab the person what? to your right. <laughs> stab your person to your left. Now everybody fall down. <laughs> That's the that'd shortest be film ever. The square, that'd be the square dancing. As soon as I learned that, and the fact that it was going to be that they were all going to be centered around music, I thought, oh well, if they're going to center it around different types of music, would we have ended up where we got to with opera, Argento's opera, just a few years mm. later? Yeah, yeah. Would that mm. have been like the end point because that's a giallo, yeah, yeah, based in the world of music, in the world of opera. Mm. And it's like, well, that if that was kind of if that's the kind of thing that starts to get kicked around, and of course by that you know by that time Argento and Fulci were collaborating, and, and when Fulci passed away, they were actually working together trying to get another film made by Fulci that eventually had to be he passed away, mm-hmm. and it eventually was uh, actually directed by the, uh, the special effects uh, special effects man Sergio Stivalotti. Yeah, and I think I'm mispronouncing his name. What a shock! Mm-hmm. But that was Wax Mask. No, oh, yeah. Uh, okay. And it, and it seems to me that if the if opera is something that might have been being kicked around by a bunch of different people as that kind of idea of like making giallos based around the world of music, mm-hmm. that opera may have been one of those ideas that got eventually made like yeah. that. I don't know. I agree with you. I would. I end up giving this a six. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like you start thinking about the the. the I, when I think about the movies that I rate the highest for, for Lucio Fulci across his career, it's Beatrice Cince, mm. it's, or Cinci, I can't remember how to pronounce the name. It's Don't, Touch or, Don't Torture a Duckling, it's For the Apocalypse, it's, uh, it's The Beyond. Mm-hmm. Those are, I mean, there, and there, there are several others that I, that mm-hmm. I absolutely love, but mm-hmm. it's like those are the movies where you start talking about going somewhere between an eight and a nine. Yeah. I mean, these are exceptional films, really extraordinarily well made, written, directed photograph just fantastic pieces of cinema and when you start getting to this era it's like well, this is still this is still junk food cinema which i have a lot of love and respect for but there junk food the, the best junk food cinema from fulci is something like the beyond where he's spinning something he's a, he's that guy who somehow is getting like mm. six seven and eight plates spinning on sticks mm. right in front of you at the same time in that movie and it's like, oh, one of them fell, but the others are still up there, you know. <laughs> eh, it's okay. Oh, yeah. Because one of them fell, it's kind of fun. Still kind of fun because you know they can fall. Right. right. Whereas with uh, things like Don't Torture a Duckling, it's just like, no, that's just a great movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like a really extraordinarily well-made film. And uh, the fact that he had that in him and eventually got down to uh, things like this. I, I, I kind of admire this movie, Murder Rock. I admire it more than I kind of enjoy it yeah. because I admire the fact that it's 1984 and god damn it we're going to make a giallo yeah. Yeah. and we're going to stick to we're going to stick to the rules of it yeah. because mm-hmm. the rules still work and yeah. the rules do still work yeah. it's just that I hate to say this and this movie might be better thought of if the murders were a little more bloody yeah. no, yeah. and I, I, I'm not saying that's what I want the film to be but I think you're absolutely right but I think that people's memories of this film there is first of all 
it's it certainly doesn't shrink away from the nudity yeah, end, of, yeah. end of what you would expect from a mm-hmm. giallo. Right. What it shrinks away from is the violence. Mm-hmm. And if this were somewhere between the violence level the movie currently has and the violence level that something like Derek Ripper had, which was way <laughs> right. over the yeah. line. Oh, yeah. yeah. If it was somewhere in that in-between zone, this movie would probably be better thought of. And I hate to say it, it would probably be something that I would I would think was a better movie, too, just because it would have that extra visceral kick. Yeah. But I still like the movie. Like I said, it's about it's. I, I agree on a one to ten scale. I give it about a six. And I would, and it's also one that I would recommend. Yes, yeah. like to a Fulci fan, I probably would throw in that caveat though. It's like you know, I would hey, watch it first. No, no, exactly. But no, if I, it's somebody already, but I would tell them also. It's like by the way, it's not one of his. Don't it's not expect, one of his best. Not, well, and say it yeah. was going to say not a gore fest either. If that's where they were, yeah. if that's what they really, I would probably that's tell probably them. That's probably the better way. It's not one of the shocking, you know, or or, or transgressive Fulci's. But I would recommend uh, somebody who was into Italian cinema, Italian you know, giallos, yeah. and I would, I would, I would say, yeah, it's check it out. It's worth checking out. It's worth, it's, it's worth your time. It's, yeah, it, yeah. yeah it's, not, it's not like uh, those later productions like House of Clocks, where I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going to be like, I don't know if you never really need to bother with that one. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you don't need to. Right. Maybe if you see everything else and you're curious, then see it. Mm-hmm. Which is how I came to those movies later on. So, yeah. yeah. Eh, you know. I think there is one little thing to add uh, mm-hmm. along the lines of you know we're talking about. The lack of blood. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like where did the concept of the hat pin come into play? Yeah. Was there was there something written before that, as in that wasn't filmed? That oh that yeah, it's Good almost point. like you, it's a callback. It should be a callback to something. You're right. Should, You're right. It should be a callback to something. But boy, that's a good question. It should be some kind of <clears throat> without giving away the ending. Mm-hmm. It should be a callback to the motivation for the murders. Correct. As a matter of fact, it should have some kind of direct correlation or reference mm-hmm. to the person that the murderer is attempting to pin the murders on. No pun intended. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so I was, you're right. That so is I, was, a, yeah. I was waiting for that. Mm-hmm. But that's a good. But, point. but then I was thinking about like in later films, it's a um, it's an elaborate. I'm sorry. It's a fascinating knife that's pulled out. Yeah, or um, an extra shiny this, or you know, it's definitely not a chainsaw that all of a sudden they pull up from their back, <laughs> yeah. you know. Well, or, except or, in that one movie, or a boomstick. Yeah, but but yeah, I was sort of expecting, you know, similar to the flashes of light that you see when the detectives are there, you know, I'm just looking for something else. There's something yeah. there. Yeah. There's something something going on that I'm not reading, and that's another reason why I enjoyed the film the second time. Uh, I'm yeah. just looking for something, but with the hat pin. You know, I, I thought there would be something that come up at the very end, but there wasn't. You You're know, right. It, I'd not, I'd it's, not thought about it. The it's murder not weapon is such an odd murder weapon. There should yeah. be some right. call yeah. to it. And it's not a complaint necessarily, yeah. except like what we've already mentioned, there's almost no blood. Yeah. And it sure is a, um, a fascinating look as in uh, how do we stop the heart? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, the only thing I can imagine is that the murderer wanted something that was incredibly identifiable. So that when right. she goes to pin this on her Patsy, it it is something that is undeniable. It's like, this is exactly the same kind of item. Right. So maybe it's like, okay, well, I can get, I can buy like a set of five of these. <laughs> right? And they're all the same. They're on sale. Yeah, <laughs> kind of done it a little worse. We're all good. The fact that it is very distinctive, along with a couple other things. It's going to say another thing I thought was pretty nicely held up with the, the plot there is I did like the things that ultimately give the murderer away. The things that are referenced yes. to mm. 
and the, and the design of the hat pin is one of those things and there's other a couple other things that are neat because when they happen you think when they happen in the film they are sort of almost kind of throwaway details right but then when they're referenced later it's what helps the detective realize who the killer right. is you know right. because they're referenced in a way that that the killer could not have known or, or gives that something each away. person who talks with the uh, detective gives something away. Yeah, yeah. Well, they either prove they exactly. Instantly, it's just like this person is no longer a suspect, right? Because of this reason right here. Yeah. Well, I wanted to. Uh, I actually meant to do this earlier, but I'm going to do it now as we wrap up and kind of have you guys react mm -hmm. to uh, Stephen Thrower's opinion from his book Beyond Terror, mm -hmm. the films of Lucio Fulci. Uh, Stephen Thrower, Mr. Thrower, was apparently not that much of a fan of this film. Uh huh. <laughs> but I find his writing to be so wonderful that I want to uh, I want to read this out and kind of get your reaction to it. He just never breakdanced is his problem. <laughs> <laughs> he never admired a breakdancer. <laughs> he says, uh, Struggling beneath the multitude of faults that this film exhibits is a far more entertaining thriller, sadly ruined by Keith Emerson's appalling soundtrack <laughs> and a host of awkward aerobic dancing scenes. The film follows on neatly from The New York Ripper and is determinedly... Americanized aura, and as long as one approaches it without expecting any excessive violence, it can hold the attention as an amusingly tacky giallo. Mm -hmm. Now, see, if I stop right there, I'd be like, Mr. Thrower okay. and I are, are simpatico. We're on the same page. And even Fulci thought Emerson's music was terrible for it. Right, <laughs> he did. He says, despite the film's wish to be taken as an American product, though, there are several bizarre giveaways that carry an unmistakably Italian illogic. The ironically named Arts for Living Center is a good example with its cool electronic voice announcement warnings of the center's imminent automatic closing, which is truly weird. Yes, mm -hmm. it is. The corridors are shown pulsing from light to darkness whilst the synthesized tone completes the sci-fi ambience. It's a nice, typically nutty Italian touch, reminiscent of Baba's propensity for lighting scenes with flashing color from defective neon signs sort of thing which was, of course, coded, uh, codified into horrendous cliché during the 80s designer decade. Baba's use of such techniques was effective because of the way it threatened the story with its technical contrivance. Given such a flicker of, of Italianosity, it's a shame <laughs> that the story is then allowed to drift haphazardly through so many nods to the American mainstream. Compared to many of the American stalk and slash flicks around at the time, this is a fairly restrained little number with the only really hideous violence perpetrated by Keith Emerson's score. <laughs> Fulci himself hated the music, although he dredged up some two-faced enthusiasm for it on the Japanese CD sleeve notes. And it's, a, and it's truly a sad and sorry wonder to hear the man who composed the marvelous intertwining themes for Argento's Inferno charting out such, such lumpy, frumpy disco tracks for Murder Rock. His songs are meant to give the film a fizz and sparkle of coke-driven disco nerviness. <laughs> Paranoia is coming your way, one track insists. Instead, the music sounds like it was rejected for a satellite TV tampon commercial. <laughs> now, he does... I, th th this, is, this is why you read Stephen Thrower. Not just yeah, for, for things like that. Good. But this is, this is a neat piece. He says, The world of advertising is represented in Murder Rock as, a, as some sort of emerging subtext. One's suspicions are alerted fairly soon when Candace's first nightmare sequence unspools. It's like a parody of a shampoo commercial, all slow motion <laughs> running through hazy surroundings. A scene where aging exploitation hunk Ray Lovelock chases Carlados with a giant ornamental pen looks like a dry run for a chic perfume ad. For a fragrance, for a fragrance, for the, fragrance for the name like Nightshade or Forbidden. <laughs> this intrusion of the commercial shoot into the cinema dreams sequence was to become endemic throughout the 80s. With dreams, that, the, with dreams the last unsold territory, a marketplace for the unconscious. 
The disorienting technical, technical effects, though never their emotional correlate, correlatives, created by directors like Nicholas Rogue and Dario Argento and even Ken Russell in the 70s, were relentlessly codified into the language of selling and to compound the horror. All three have directed TV commercials. The, this process occurs in a hesitant, blurry way in Murder Rock. The quote, he snuck into your subconscious, pronounces a friend as Candace obsesses over the man on a billboard who appears so like the man in her nightmare dreams. Later, George the model makes the surprising statement, maybe I should get into the dream market. Nothing ever materializes in the movies. Huh. <laughs> so I do like the fact that while he's slamming the movie pretty hard, he does point out that there is this thing, this is something that, this yeah. is a through line you're seeing, seeing pop up in the 80s where the... Uh, I would have I would have leaned more toward the instead of calling them uh, television commercials, I would go with music video. Mm. Those yeah. elements of these things starting to pop up and usually being used if mm. they're smart as dream sequences so that you can get away with some mm. of the more ridiculous over the top visual elements that you would include in a music video, but not in anything purporting to be reality. It's a good point because MTV came out in eighty one as well. Yeah, and everyone was talking about it in the early eighties as well. And by eighty four. Yeah. Start, you are starting to see those kinds of techniques. Some of the, the some of the cross cutting used in techniques yeah, used in commercials, and yeah. you're starting to see them start to pop up in movies yeah. as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, by just a couple of years later, people are going to start critiquing the fact that some of those some of those techniques are starting to bleed over into what's supposed to be serious cinema and starting mm-hmm. to quote unquote infect it. Yeah. And so calling this uh, that 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 looking like some kind of fragrance commercial <laughs> is is pretty spot on for talking yeah, about this. Good. I would have just I would have just flipped it instead of it being for T V commercials, I would move it into the music video realm, which is just another type of commercial right. in the first place. Because yeah. so many music video directors then went into right. directing films. And, correct. And so, correct. Yeah. And of course he seems thrower seems completely appalled that these film directors would then go and direct T V commercials and it's like he I got news buck, for you. He, just a few years later, yeah. so many people who got started making music videos are then turning into film directors, and yep. in some ways it's good, and in some ways yeah. it's Michael Bay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, bad. I'm sorry, yeah. bad. Yeah, well, you know, and you could also, it also makes me think, too, you know, that it would be far too big a scope for this discussion here, but you could really go off on a, at a major tangent just talking about the thread through Jallos of uh, how many of them are set within... Like the modeling oh. world, the advertising the agent world, world, the fashion world. Yeah. I mean, it's right. just you know, it, it's just a the dance world. I mean, how how often that is a setting for so yeah. many jalos stretching all the way back to the seventies. Well, even even before that, because um, uh, blood and black lace. Well, blood and black, yeah. yeah, and yeah. and that's and that's probably why the so fashion many just draw. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you yeah. know, it's a uh, it's because our own nested vipers is the reason why. That's right. Uh, <laughs> it makes such a perfect setting for. Uh, well, for also, it, it, it's it's an easy place to to choose as a setting because it allows you to be. Very be- surface beautiful and glamorous, yes. therefore giving you that mm-hmm. that visual kick that you want for a an arresting vi- you know an arresting mm-hmm. yeah. looking picture, and then at the same time, yeah, and to they, introduce the sexually ambiguous characters, which are such a big staple. Exactly, you're you, it allows you to throw a lot lots of different characters into the mix, with good reason to be in this place, yeah. and mm-hmm. and also set it in a world that is at least perceived to be very cutthroat, ambitious, you yep. know, bitchy, and all and, that. So. And it happens in the very beginning. They're reminded that only yeah. three dancers are going to yeah. make the cut. Yeah. How and, cutthroat and, can we get? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Setting up the whole idea that this isn't just a competition. This is mm-hmm. live or die. This mm-hmm. is you're either going to make it and move out of this, mm-hmm. or you're not. And there are only three slots, 
And that's exa- that's what's on everybody's mind is these yeah. murders start because everybody knows that first person who's killed, well, she was definitely going to be one of the three. She, she was, was the one best. of the best. Yeah, yeah, she was the best. Yep. So that's... I, I, I love that because those are the, the the setting it in those kinds types of situation situations is already a pressure cooker. You're just all you're starting at a boil to begin with, and then it just go ramps up from there. And it's pretty. It's like I say, not one of his best films, but you can't fault it for the genre choice. You can't mm. fault it for the right. the the setting. You uh, maybe you could fault it for Keith Emerson's work <laughs> as Stephen Thrower does. Uh, we I, I let's. Quick, quick sidebar. I'm not real impressed with the score, and we talked about yeah, that already. Yeah. But I do think that par- that that one song, "Paranoia," is yeah. co- coming your way. That whatever the hell the lyrics of that stupid thing are, <laughs> it's like it, it. It's the only one that stands out because it's the only one that seems to have a pulse. Yeah, right. Yeah. And an yeah. almost literal pulse. Yeah. That that you know that mm. beat that that yeah, that right. four four beat. Something you can dance to. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's right. exactly. That's where I mean, going. yeah, in some ways, it's American you, bandstand. Yeah, in some ways, working. you can argue that he he probably met the assignment. I mean, he probably like kind of gave them what the kind of music the yeah. music call mm-hmm. for is just you know yeah you do wish overall the songs were were still just better. You know, if he had to write songs, you kind of wish he would just. Had maybe had somebody else write the a couple of pop tunes for it and let him just do a general overall. Well, there's score a, or there's another but. name attached to the music credit. Mm-hmm. It's a woman's name, right? There's also the the cinematographer did mention that Keith's um, uh, creation. He, did, he never saw the entire film. Yeah, no, that's true. While he was making the music, that's a good point. So it doesn't play properly in most areas, right? Well. Nevertheless, I think that uh, we can probably look upon this as uh, a good film to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. Yeah, good. Yeah, mm-hmm. good that's fair enough. Probably yeah, something along that's those very lines. Fair, yeah. It's, yeah. So, a uh, lot, lot of respect for this. For this uh, having the 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 standard giallo trope of the one of one of the potential murderers conducting their own investigation. Always, always oh, love that. Always, good mm-hmm. always love that. Idea. All the way back to Burn with Crystal Pointe. Yeah. Always, <laughs> always love that. It's like yeah. I guess I better find the murderer. They're going to toss me in jail. It's like, no, maybe you better not do anything that's going to put you in a position to be thought of as the murderer again, you dumbass. Right. (laughs) Nevertheless. Uh, Thanks to both of you guys. Troy, thank you. Thank you for reminding me that we haven't covered a Fulci film in God knows how long. Yeah, yeah, it's been too long. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. We need to, to, before the year's out, maybe try to do another obscure 80s Mm -hmm. Lucio Fulci film. Maybe Conquest, maybe Mm -hmm. Manhattan Baby, something along those lines. Yes, I'd be open. That would be great. I'd like that a lot. Cool. Well, uh, guys, thank you once again. I uh, guess we'll say goodbye to everyone. If you have any comments about this Lucio Fulci film or any other, if you want to make a defense of Keith Emerson's uh-huh. musical stylings for Murder Rock, mm-hmm. let us know at thebloodypit at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And uh, other than that, you can also check us out over on our uh, bizarre Facebook page where I keep adding strange things here, there, and yon. And with that, I'll just say I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. I'm Jeffrey Nelson. And we will talk to you next Fulci time. 